Like, why? Why, why does everybody like press so much? Let's go to have a life out here. Hello everybody, welcome to the UK Packers podcast. As usual, I'm your host, that's NFL on Twitter and of course follow the group at UK Packers. Oh, I love it. I love the podcast. I love being here for the off-season. I love being able to delve into some things with my squeaky chair. Just me, me and the squeaky chair um, and go all Packers history on it. I'll try to pick out some exciting things. So look, I've recorded a video, but I'm going to do sort of a podcast version of what I'm doing. So I told you I'd be bringing segments and stuff like that. So this one is... Um, a history segment that I actually find fascinating. Um, so I hope you do too. And hope my enthusiasm comes across as I rub my hands by the microphone. Have I never done a podcast before? Do I not know how audio works? Um, but I want to talk about Jeff Halfley. I'm going to talk about the presser takeaways. And some of the big no-nos, obviously, that you're not allowed to say. I'm going to move my mic here. Sorry about that. Um, I should really set up properly before I start. I just got so excited to dive right in. Uh, before I go, patreon.com forward slash UK Packers. I cannot stress enough how ridiculous this prize is. It's an all expenses paid trip to Green Bay. It isn't subsidized by sponsors or any of that nonsense. Uh, it's basically we do it ourselves, right? So it's patreon.com forward slash UK Packers. Enough people sign up. Well, then we send people across and more people sign up. I send more people across for a fiver. Uh, you can get in the draw for a tenner. You can get into the signed March draw. So look, it's up to you. If you want to join in, it's great if you do. Uh, the more people that join, the bigger the prizes get. That's how I've done it. And the prizes are pretty ridiculous. So if you want an all-expenses paid trip to Lambeau Field on the group tour, then go to patreon.com forward slash UK Packers. There's six months left. And again, this comes out. It's the 25th today. So again, this comes out. You have a couple of days to get into the March draw because the money gets taken at the start of every month. When you sign up, the money does not get taken. Um, So get involved. You've only yourself to blame. There's, what, six months left now? Uh, before the draw so the draw is going to be done in August when are we going to know because I've had a lot of a lot of interest on the group tour um, which is brilliant because Jordan Love's come in and he's doing his thing and Jeff Halfley pressers which I'm going to get into has uh, got everybody excited so when they announced the schedule which is April May time literally a week after the schedule is announced uh, well then we will announce what game we're going to see with the group and um, that's how it works I can't do it any quicker than that because we don't know what dates they're playing so yes, we know the opponents, the home opponents, but we don't know what dates they're playing. So we're, it's impossible. We need to get all of the details, which is flights and all that jazz. And if you win the prize, the all-expense-to-pay prize, you don't need to worry about it. Now, the tour, I will say, sells out every single year and has done for the last couple of years. It isn't a marketing ploy because, again, um, why they won't tell you about the draw, you know, this is not some sort of thing. I don't sell holidays. I sell I sell dreams um, to, as a group trip. It's brilliant. Of course, people can go over on their own, um, but the prices are ridiculously competitive. I would say cheaper. I've only known one guy who did it on his own and got it for 50 quid less, but he was staying in a garbage hotel. Uh, so you have that group dynamic. Um, I'll get into that sort of stuff, you know, at a later podcast or whatever. This has been a long preamble, but I will say if you want to guarantee a place on that tour, I would contact Touchdown Trips. If you go to the website, ukparkers.co.uk, there's a tours tab. You'll get all the details there. But if you're if you're dead set on going and you are going to go no matter what and you want to see what prices they were last year, uh, go to ukparkers.co.uk forward slash tours, I think, um, and you'll see all the details and you can put a deposit down. Some people have already done it. And in fact, I've got a lot of messages lately where people are doing it. So I just want to give you a warning, right? Because once it's sold out, it's sold out. It's not a marketing ploy, as I say. Once it's once it's done, it's done. Anyway, I'm going to talk about Jeff Halfley and the presser takeaways. Then I'm going to talk about an episode in Packers history where a head coach's dog was murdered. 
right? Dan Devine. Dan Devine, they shot his dog and he was nearly ran out of Green Bay. Eventually kind of was ran out of Green Bay. And there was a Time magazine article in 1974, October 1974. And that came out and Dan Devine detailed all the abuse he was getting. And one of those was his dog was shot, killed. And I'm going to get into it. And we're going to ask ourselves, who shot Dan Devine's dog? Anyway, before I get there, Jeff Halfley, I'm very excited about him. Now, is this overkill? Maybe. Is it the off-season? Most definitely. Um, I've got loads of points that I wanted to point out about Jeff Halfley. Because if you can win a press conference, he's done it. He's, that, congrats, Jeff. There you go. Round of applause, Jeff. You've won the press conference, buddy. Well done. Congratulations. Um, this guy is just with it. Very with it. Will it translate into good defense? Don't know. Impossible. Impossible. Anybody who's coming out says that, yeah, this is the be-all and end-all. Erroneous. Erroneous. Um, but it certainly lends itself. It just, he seems to me to have his head screwed on properly. Um, the first thing he talks about is why he comes to Green Bay. And this is one thing that sort of stood out to me, right? Now, you can say I'm being pedantic, uh, to which I say, you're welcome. Um, but I just liked some of the stuff he came out with. So he talks about why he came to Green Bay. Um, I'll just play it. And one was Matt. Um, you know, I've known Matt for a while. Um, I worked with his brother, worked with Kyle, worked with Robert, worked with guys that he's known. So I've known of Matt. I've respected what he's done. Oh, oh no. Oh, whoa. Nepo alert. Nepo, Nepo alert. You can't. No, if you've known Matt LaFleur, no, you're not allowed to get a job in Green Bay. That's how it works. He knew Joe Barry, knew of him. And he got a job and that didn't work out. So this is going to be exactly the same. You're not allowed, no. You're not allowed to work with the people he's worked with. I don't care if he gives a good reference and they respected you along the way. You knew his brother? Seriously? What next? You're his dad? You're going to marry his mom? That's rude. Uh, but look, this is another thing. This is a reason. This is one of the things that no one talks about, right? And it's always, you know, Green Bay's always under the radar. And when you say you support the Green Bay Packers, it was a bit more believable when Aaron Rodgers was there. And believable is a wrong word, but it's a bit more recognizable, I'd say, uh, because when you mention Green Bay and the Green Bay Packers, people are like, yeah, I don't know. And once Tom Brady sort of retired, buggered off, you know, people know less about it who are sort of casuals. Um, and this is another one. It's just bizarre to me. Sorry about the voice going so high. Um, I'm going through puberty. Um, is that Matt has a good reputation and uh, he has a reputation among coaches. And where the voters of Coach of the Year don't see his value, the coaches do. And they've kept an eye on him. Now, is this bluster and waffle because he's got signed to Green Bay? Maybe. But he's took the job. He's got away from a head coaching job. Um, and he's coming into the NFL and he's trying to make a case for himself. But this is one of those things, you know, when you hear these comedians like, oh, but you might not have laughed at his joke, but he was a comedian's comedian. You know, and that's why it's not, it's transparent. You look at his stats, look at Matt LaFleur's stats and it's been ridiculous. But this is the way it's always been in Green Bay, if you ask me. Um, we were flying under the radar with Devontae Adams, another one. Um, it took the NFL community a solid few years to catch up on how good Devontae was. And then he goes and goes to the Raiders and all of a sudden he's the best thing ever. That his last couple of years with Green Bay, he's being recognized. Now, again, you would go and ask players and you do the NFL Top 100 and he's on there. Um, but again, did you see many people going around and getting excited about it the way they would with OBJ or whoever, you know, whatever other tropey uh, thing is out there? Because that's the thing. Even Jordan Love, he wasn't in the conversation uh, to be an MVP candidate. He didn't get voted to the Pro Bowl. 
And the only time it was ever mentioned was in some tropey story about how Green Bay found another good one. You know, post-Rogers and post-Farve. How can all these stories be about that, oh, they've done it again. They found another uh, Hall of Famer. Yet not have him in the Pro Bowl or as an MVP candidate or mentioned in his own right. And it's just one of those other things about Green Bay. So it's lovely to see Jeff Halfley first off step up to the podium and say, right, pause your questions there. I'm going to come out with a little opening spiel. And yes, it's one of those things you get up and you say, hello, Madam Speaker, and hello, you know, public speaking thing. But it's good that he got up there and he said, Matt's a large reason. He goes on to mention his stats and to what he's doing, um, which is good. And then the other, so obviously he's, he knows Matt, right? He's heard of him, so that's bad. And then we had this one, and uh, this is where the Homer alert uh, alarm goes off. Brace yourself. And then Brian, watching the talent that he has acquired over the last few years, uh, when I really started to watch the tape, uh, watch the last few draft classes, and the job that he's done and will continue to do going forward, that was obviously very appealing to me. Oh, Jeff, what are we doing? What are we doing here, man? What are you doing? What? Gudekunst, really? You're complimenting Gudekunst, the guy who moved on from Aaron Rodgers to Jordan Love. You're, you're giving Gudekunst compliments? Is that allowed? I don't know. Hold on. I'm just going to go back. I'm going to pause uh, my Joe Rogan podcast and I'm going to stick on the Pat McAfee words of advice and see what... Because that's what I always ask myself in these situations. What does Pat McAfee think? Okay, I assume Gudekunst is a, you know, a smart human. He's a general manager yeah. for an NFL team. Got there. But just being like, well, we got two really good negotiators. It's like, do we know that? I don't know if we know that. I don't, I don't, you know, for Gunt, I don't think he's proved anything, has he? Mm. Okay. All right. Now we've got that opinion out of the way. I'm so glad we don't have to listen to that nonsense anymore. Um. So, yeah, look, it's it's all, you know, joking aside. It's great. He comes in. He knows what good he's done. He goes on to talk about the players. Uh, he goes on and talks about... Matt LaFleur and likes what he's doing and who cares who cares that he knew his brother and he knew Robert Sala and he knew Kyle Shanahan that's all going to add as a reference and this guy seems the real deal and I'll go on and, and say but the other thing I really loved about this press conference was that he talked that Lambo was the mecca of the football world uh, which is great that he understands the history of it and Bill Belichick is the last person that I heard come out about that stuff with Lambo. and you think it's fairly common right because we're fans and we love Lambo and we love the history and then going on later to talk about a bit of a history episode uh, that sort of tickled me tickled me pink uh, so it's great to see a guy coming in and talking about it because in fact an awful lot of the staff members um, in Green Bay like Mark Murphy I mean he supports Buffalo he's not from the area so you assume that just because they work for the team they're as steeped in it as you are they're not um, so look I, I played a thing at the beginning as well and they talk about press man um, and he goes, why is everyone obsessed with press man? The, the, probably the second or third favorite quote of this whole press. And it's good in this. He comes out and says that he likes to press, uh, do press plays, um, but he wants to run the defense with the players that he has. Uh, that is a complex scheme, but he wants to make it simple for the players. Now, you listen to that, right? And you go, blah, 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 load of waffle. Who cares, right? Um stick it there's no point even listening to it but I like it because it shows at least awareness that you have to work with the players you have because how many times have we seen it that the Packers will take players like Demarius Randall or Micah Hyde um, they did it with Clay Matthews at the end of his career they play a player in a position that he's not really suited to then it doesn't work out and then they bugger off and become really good elsewhere um, but 
you know, this leads us up to about four minutes into the presser. And by this stage, I was ready to put my head down in the, in the safety position and run through a wall. Because he just seems honest. And I would click my fingers here, but that wouldn't sound very well. You know, and the knock on this fella is, is that, oh, well, he's a college coach and he's a head coach at that. And his defense for Boston College wasn't all that great. So how is he going to adjust to the NFL? But what he says is, is that he had the same sort of thing said to him when he went to Ohio State. The knock on him then was, oh, he's an NFL guy. What does he know about college ball? Now, look, an offer of this presser is that he's trying to sell himself to the media, to the fans, to the world at large. Um, but the one thing that stood out to me was that it didn't sound contrived. It didn't sound false. It didn't sound preachy. There's nothing really corny in there. Now, it's very early doors. And can you tell that from it? No. But the thing is, is that he's able to handle this. And he's good at politics because he's in that position. Like they ask him later on about, oh, what players are you excited about? As if like, you know, pick your favorite child. Um, but I like the fact that he's able to talk the talk, particularly because he starts casually throwing in technical talk and he talks aggressive and he's talking down in distance and he talks about getting exotic and getting after the quarterback and you know goes on to stress his adjustment was from the NFL to college and not from college to the NFL now we've heard this before we've heard uh, Petten talk about it we've heard Joe Barry talk about it about hiding coverages being exotic you know cooking up different stuff and you know but look I'll believe it when I see it it's good to hear and it's good to hear that he's going to pin his ears back and get after the quarterback um, but the other thing that he mentions is is the quality of his defensive staff around him and the fact that he's got head coaching experience. So he's open to delegating that and, and giving it to somebody else and also taking ideas from other people. And that's the first of two times that he mentions that. And I think that's very important. Now, I'm going to get very sort of lofty a little bit later, but I just think that's really important that he knows the guys that he has around him. And he knows that he can sort of hand it off and say to Anthony Campanile to say, here, what do you think? Go on, tell me what you think. And that it doesn't all have to come through him. And I think that's great because what we know about Matt LaFleur and defensive play calling and his defensive coordinator, he hands it off, the entire thing, boom, hands it off, checks in every once in a while. All right, Lancey, all right, do you need some tea? But apart from that, he doesn't get involved too much. So he needs someone like Jeff Halfley to roll with it. And they've surrounded him with these absolutely stellar um, staff members. Now, again, will it translate? Who knows? But Gudekunst, Gudekunst, um, oh, can you hear Pat McAfee in the background? Uh, he's gone ahead and he's gave a great staff there. And if it doesn't work this time around, we're screwed. Um, he talks more technical stuff about post safeties and they sort of ask him, about, oh, what do you want from a safety? And this is where a spoofer, right? You ask him about what do you feel is the case? And then they wax on for 10 minutes about absolute tosh. But they ask him what his criteria is and really quick fire. He's a very clear vision of what he wants. And he even discusses the weights of players. He stresses the importance of the safety position. And he goes into about four or five exact criteria of what he looks for in a safety. So there's been all this talk about, oh, safety is very important in his scheme. And they leave it at that. There's no other analysis. But he breaks it down into what he's looking for. And he nearly breaks it down into a thing of where you look at and go, oh, cool. So we don't have any of those. Then. Uh, so it'll be interested in the draft. And Peter Jones, the draft expert and guru, uh, will hopefully be on soon and we can talk all things drafted him he talks about Anthony Campanile and he says you know you probably know him from hard knocks and all this but he says one thing that stands out with Campanile to him is loyalty and that he knows him from way back way way back and he tried to hire him in all of these different places and he says that above all else that the players are going to absolutely love him um, and I like hearing that because 
you sort of expect that he's put in there, they hire all these other coaches. Yes, he's involved with the hires, uh, but it's all trying to gel and all this. He knows what he's getting with Anthony Campanile. He knows what he expects of him. He's a head coach. Anthony Campanile is seen as a defensive coordinator slash head coach uh, candidate as well. Um, and then he talks about the other staff. And the importance that he says is, is that, look, it's about commanding players and being good teachers. And he knows not only Anthony Campanile, but he knows a lot of these guys going way back. But I went over, and this is one thing that I'm going to probably do in a video or doing a podcast. I brought my boys over because they're big football fans now. One of them's a United supporter. Yay, glory, glory, man. United, the other guy's a City supporter. Boo. But the thing is, is that from covering sports on the radio, on here for the last decade and more, is you kind of get to be able to step back out of your fandom and look at it more objectively. And what they do with Man City is amazing, right? Pep Guardiola, his coaching style, to me, he's one of the best, if not the best manager in the world. He gets it. And he takes an awful lot, we did a stadium tour, he takes an awful lot of that stuff from American sports, including the round locker room, which is what you see in Green Bay, right? So, And even the field in the Etihad is done very similar to the way they do it in Green Bay. But one thing that stands out is if you listen to Pep Guardiola's players, and it sort of resonates with what Jeff Halfley is trying to do here. And as my son watches, just, you know the way kids, they'll watch something 57 times and it never gets boring. So I hear it a lot. But Phil Foden, a young, dynamic player who I saw in the flesh, incredible. He said that, the, you know, when you're looking across at your players, um, you know, you have to be able to know that he's going to be there for you. And that's exactly what Phil Foden was saying. He's like, look, you know, I know when I look at these guys on the field that they're going to lay down for me. Like, again, it's sports. Who cares, right? It's, it's all very lofty, lofty. But that they fight for each other. And that's something that Jeff Halfley goes on to say. He wants good command of the players. He wants loyalty that goes both ways. He has to earn his stripes with the players as they have to with him. And that they all have to be good teachers. But that the guys have to be out there fighting for each other. Uh, the other thing that came up was player development. And one of the questions he was asked was, is, well, you know you're coming into a culture that's draft and develop. So how do you feel about that? You know, you're not giving the superstars. We know you've played with Richard Sherman. We know you've played with the Real Rivas and coached them. Um, and he, he's very humble about that too. He kind of is like, eh, well, they're kind of good on their own and I was just lucky enough to learn from them, right? Humble, humble guy. But they talk about player development. But look, he just gets it because this is what he did at college. He even says himself, he got the lower star guys and had to turn them into the high star guys. Um, he talks about young guys, he talks about scheme, and he talks about getting something that's really complex, his system is complex, and making it simple for the players to play fast. And I just think that's really nice to hear in a guy who's, who's a guy, who's coming into a defense. Now, in fairness, the defense are the oldest core of this young burgeoning team. We know how young the offense is. So, you know, he's going to have an element of that, but not too much. But he's going to have to come in and teach young guys and develop them into players. And, you know, from looking at his track record, it seems that he's done it. Um, and this one, I'm going to get a bit lofty here, but I love my history, right? Um, one of the guys that stands out to me, and I'm not saying everything he's done was great, right? You know, all of these people are monsters at the end of the day, especially in the era that they worked in. But Napoleon Bonaparte used to come in. I know I've lost you now. I've mentioned Napoleon Bonaparte. You're like, Jesus Christ, Stephen. It's a Green Bay Packers podcast. What the is Off the rails, switch off. But look, Napoleon Bonaparte had this trait that he would... Be the supreme leader, right? He's the emperor of France. He got it from the classics. And he'd come into a room and he would absolutely not care about making himself look like an arse. Right? He'd ask loads of questions. He'd risk being look, make himself look really, really silly by asking these simple questions. Because, you know, some of the testament from back then. I'm not saying Jeff Halfley is Napoleon Bonaparte or even close to it, right? He hasn't taken over most of Europe for a start. Um, and he's, but he's probably the same height. Um, so... 
they'd say to him like it was amazing to see this guy who was you know allegedly arrogant and old knowing and he was all it but he'd come in and make himself look like an idiot you know like he'd come and he'd ask questions where like how the hell do you not know that but Jeff Halfley has that sort of bit about him now to that level no am I being ridiculous probably but you know he says that he asks his players questions you know what what do you think is working what do you think we should do like you teach me how you play nickel you teach me how you cover this type of guy you know and he's willing to listen and that's part of his whole ethos of getting in and getting dirty with the team oh getting dirty uh, the other thing is is that he was asked look how do you make it easy then because if it is so complex and all of that, how do you make it look easy? And he says, look, I keep the player's mentality in mind and I ask myself, what can they ex- execute and how can they do it quickly? And I don't want to overload them. Um, and he can draw up a fantastic scheme and then blame the players. But he said, great teachers are great communicators and he needs to be able to put it in a way that lets these players play fast. And that's what I like because we heard about when Joe Barry came in, I don't know if you remember, is that he was talking about when he hears the defense chatter to each other, he knows that they're getting it. But up until then, he didn't because they weren't talking because they were confused and they didn't get it. Now, will this bear fruit? Uh, will it make sense? Will the players get it? I don't know. I don't know. But he's aware of it. And that's sometimes part of the thing, you know, is that you have to know if someone says to you, look, I know it's tough on your first day starting your new job and I get that you're anxious and it's an overload. I'm just going to leave you now for an hour. Go off, get a coffee, come back, get yourself together and then we pick it up again. Right. Great leadership because it shows that you understand what it's like to start the new job. And that's what he's doing here. He gets into the player mentality. He's also been teaching really young, fresh, raw guys as well. Um, so he gets it. Another thing that he said was he was like a kid in a candy store to be able to sit down and watch tape. You know, as a head coach, he's pulled in loads of different um, directions. And he was talking about his management style um, and his coaching style. And he says that, you know, are these the type of guys? Because we see Campanile and he's talking about his effing and jeffing about, you know, if a guy's trying to take your livelihood, you'd run him down and all this type of stuff. Um, and this is where he comes out with what I think is is probably the top quote of the presser. I mean, I want to be demanding, but never demeaning. Chef's kiss. Amazing. He talks about yellers and, you know, getting the most out of people. It's great. But this is where I was talking about. After that, he goes on and talks about um, togetherness and care and love and teamwork and all that kind of jazz. And I just think that sort of harks back to what teams need to do. They need that team building. And I don't think it's any surprise um, that we're hearing all these stories about Jordan Love having dinners and inviting over the offensive staff and the O-linemen and going out to dinner with them and having, you know, one-on-ones and sit-downs with these guys because, you know, that's what we always hear, don't we? It's a team sport and we're all coming together. So, yeah, it's nice. And the other thing that I found hilarious was Jason Wildey's questions are so long-winded. I like Jason. I had him on a lot. A lot of time for him. Uh, but his questions are so long-winded. But Halfley's trying to be super expressive with his face. Um, and I'd, it's well worth a view. Go in and scrub through it and have a look. But he's really going through the gamut of emotions when you see him. And he's there trying to like, sort of like, yeah, 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 yeah. Come on with Jason Wildey. His face nearly explodes. Talks zone coverage. Talks about vision and break. Uh, and when the ball is thrown, that he wants three guys going 100 miles per hour to the ball carrier, which is 160 kilometers per hour on this side of the pond if you want but some great quotes there I mean the bigger they get the bigger we need to get the faster they get the faster we need to get and then on third down you find out who your best pass rushers are and you get them on the field uh, which is exciting so look there's enough technical talk in there to sort of you know for us stat nerds to go nom 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 over uh, which is good but again 
that's the big deal, isn't it? Press coverage, zone coverage. And when he talks about zone coverage, the minute that ball comes out, get after it. And I like that. I like that sort of pin your ears back because I get asked all the time, like, why why does it... I get, do I get asked all the time? I do on the radio. I'll stipulate to where because that really annoys me and people say, the people always ask me all the time. How are you so handsome, you know? Um, so they ask me, like, hey, why is it so complicated? Should it be this complicated? How come young lads can come in and do it? And that's the thing. It can be easy and you can pin your ears back. Yes, you can get gouged, but sometimes it's about being aggressive. And we haven't had that in Green Bay for a very long time. We've had individual players that have had that edge, uh, but Mike Daniels has said it, like I said before. Lastly, what stands out about this presser is just him being a family man. You know, and he's tuned into it. He's two kids and he's a wife and he understands how difficult it, difficult it is. He has this nice quote about like he is instant friends. You know, when he goes and gets a job like this, he goes into the building. Everyone hangs out together. He's done nothing else but go from the hotel to the facility and watch game tape where it's going to be tough for her. Adds a bit of humanness to him. It sort of shows you again that this is all about a personal journey. You know, I mean, Matt LaFleur talks about it and talks about Joe Barry in his one and sort of says, look, I, you know, I think the world of Joe is a defensive guy, but also as a man. These people really get to know each other. They're in the trenches together and the players are as well. It's a short season, but it's intense. So that was good. Anyway, that's what I got from the Jeff Halfley presser. I think he's again impressed me uh, with the stuff that he's coming out with. It's nice and technical. He seems to be well in tune, very empathetic. Um, bit of a hard ass though. I can imagine him getting after it. And again, he has the coaches there to be rah-rah guys, but as he said, to be demanding but not demeaning. Amazing. Amazing. If you're a manager out there, take that with you, write it down on a little piece of paper, go into work, find a place to throw it in there and people will look at you and go, oh well, you are amazing. Anyway, next up, I'm going to talk about when they shot Dan Devine's dog in the face. Yeah, exactly. What, what's he going over to him for? And what's he complaining for? I said at half-time, Robertson, what, what, what a baby. What a big baby. Just get on with the game. Baby. <laughs> Amazing. Roy Keane, Roy Keane on punditry there. Um, I want to talk about Dan Devine. So this is a chapter that kind of, you know, depending, if you don't read into it an awful lot, you kind of find out about it. And then you're like, oh my God, I'm vicious. So we all seen about, you know, Brian Gutekunst and people moaning about him, um, Aaron Rodgers and stuff. And we've seen people not like coaches before, but we've ne- it's never got to the level of canine murder, right? Um, so Dan Devine was a head coach for the Packers. He was brought in in that post-Vince Lombardi era. And there was a Time Magazine article called Haunted in Green Bay, released on October 7th, 1974. And it's all about Dan Devine's, his time in Green Bay and the abuse that he got. Um, and in that article, he goes in to say that he's he woke up one morning, there was a gunshot and he ran downstairs and it turns out his dog had been shot dead. Right. And when you add this to the sort of litany of other stuff that was happening to Dan Devine, Dan Devine in Green Bay, then you go, oh, my God, what a heinous bit of history uh, for the Packers. I can't believe the community did that to him. But there's more to this story. And we do solve, well, Cliff Crystal solves who shot Dan Devine's dog. This is a really heinous story. Unless I preface it by saying that Cliff Crystal calls Dan Devine one of the most devious and most paranoid coaches that he's ever covered on his whole time covering the Packers. Um, And there seems to be this reputation with Dan Devine is he was a stellar college coach. So when he came to Green Bay, his record in college was ridiculous. He'd won bowl games and like, you know, winning seasons. Like the guy was seen as a bit of a hero, but he was seen as a bit of a poser. Um, that he didn't really know what he was talking about. And there's various stories in a Cliff Crystal article 
where he goes on to say that, you know, when he was drawing up plays on the board, he put in 12 men on the field, you know, and stuff. And that he did this sort of half an hour talk on football and all he could talk about was how to huddle. So there's this sort of opinion of Dan Devine of, you know, he really didn't know what he was talking about. Now, we've heard that being leveled at um, Curly Lambeau before and that he had very limited knowledge. And Dan Devine's another one. And in fact, one of the comments in it was, is, well, I hope he's bringing his assistants that he had in the college game with him uh, because otherwise he's not going to do very well because he's not, as a coach himself, he isn't good. So flash forward to this Time magazine article, Haunted in Green Bay. And it's very critical and very assuming, I'd say. Now, you can sort of see why, uh, because his dog was shot dead, right? So, and with all the other stuff that went on. But it goes on to mention all of the different stuff that happened to him when he was in Green Bay, that he's still putting up with it, um, and that it's really bad. And he mentions two things. Uh, One was where he called his home phone. There was no answer. He thought it was strange because his teenage daughter should have been there. And then he calls again and again and again. And over the next few hours, he starts to get really freaked out. So he sends two equipment managers to the home and they realize that, oh, they just slept in. So that might sort of lend itself to the paranoia. However, according to this Time magazine article, he was suffering physical violence, sabotage, threats, um, professional criticism, personal insults, and his family were pursued to their front door by people hurling abuse at them. He's quoted as saying that it was vulgar, malicious and ugly. Um, And they sort of blame that, look, Vince Lombardi's holdovers were still in town and they levelled at uh, Dan Devine that he was incompetent and went around and spread it about him. You know, just talking about screaming at his family in the stands, calling his phone to hurl abuse at him at night time, driving by his house honking horns, um, spreading rumours about his family all over town. And in that time magazine, it's the 70s, right? So they don't hold back. And when you think about how young his daughters were and what they were saying about them was pretty horrible. Uh, There's stories about that they were sort of saying how bad he is as a coach and spitting on his daughter on the school bus. And then not only are the sort of community falling out with him, but there's talk about that the players want to boycott him. So in preseason, there was talk about that they weren't going to show up for the game. On On a last game of the season in Atlanta, there was concern that the players that were playing away, that they wouldn't show up for the plane because they didn't like him. Uh, the Packers PR guy who became the ex-PR guy, Chuck Lane, said that the players can't stand him and they want him out. Uh, he was undermined by the executive committee, uh, members openly bad-mouthing him wherever they could. So, you know, Dan Define didn't have any love from anybody. The players hated him, uh, the internal staff hated him, the community didn't like him. Um, so then we come on to this story where You know, he gets up in the morning and he hears this gunshot and his dog has been shot dead. And in the Time magazine, it kind of alludes to this is just one of the longer list of bad stuff that happened to him. But Cliff Crystal, fair play to him, went and did some further digging. And the real story behind it actually was that it wasn't a boycotting player or a sabotaging committee member or a prank caller or a disgruntled fan. Uh, It turns out that he lived on farmland and he had these, he had a couple of dogs. And he wouldn't lock them up. And so they get out in the locale and they'd be running around the place. So the farmers in the locale had turned around and said to him, here, you can't have dogs running around the place. They're upsetting the animals. They're chasing the chickens. It sounds ridiculous. Uh, so you need to go and keep them under wraps. Uh, and the reason was because there was a farmer there with 14 kids. Don't know where he found the time. And he needed the chicken's eggs to feed his large family. And he just got fed up with telling Dan Devine because Dan Devine was doing nothing about it. And then one day he took the law into his own hands and shot the dog dead. Now, you sort of think like, 
Jesus, that's still malicious and that's still bad. But it wasn't unheard of back in the day because there was a dedicated dog catcher back then that you could call and they could do this. They could shoot these dogs for you. But the farmer decided, hey, forget it. I'll just do it myself. Now, you'd look at it and go, like, still malicious, right? I mean, still bad and it's hard to understand. Anybody in the farming community will understand that, yes, that's commonplace. Even today, I mean, it happens in Ireland all the time. Uh, But this farmer in question... It's not as if he didn't like him or he was a massive Packers fan and decided to get after him. Um, he used to go up and plow Dan Devine's front garden. And so, you know, they were all neighbourly and he just decided. And Cliff Crystal asked the community in the neighbourhood, you know, it was a kind of a bit of a shock when it happened. And they said, nah, it didn't cause a stir at all. You know, people knew the dogs were running loose. They knew they were causing trouble. They knew they were chasing these chickens and, you know, creating havoc. So it is just part of the farming lifestyle that if the dogs are causing trouble, well, then you go and handle them if the owner won't. And that's exactly what happened. But it adds to this Time article released in 1974 of just this heinous thing where they're like, oh, I would even shot his dog how angry they were. That wasn't the case. But look, Dan Devine's career started off in Green Bay the worst way possible. So season opener against the New York Giants, who they went on to be a trash team. Uh, they lost the game at home 42-40. But Devine was on the sidelines. And by the time the game finished, he was on an operating table. Uh, getting his leg worked on in St. Vincent's Hospital of all places, not Vince Lombardi. Uh, but Bob Hyland, the Packer, they made a tackle and he skidded across the uh, surface and Dan Devine had his um, leg caught in a canvas covering and he suffered a double fracture on his lower leg. So the story around Dan Devine is, is really, or Dan Devine, I've probably switched the, the names around, is really fascinating because an awful lot of people are into that movie Rudy. And that's about Notre Dame or Notre Dame, as we call it here in Ireland. And he was the coach of Notre Dame at that time. And so the coach that's represented in that movie where all the players go in and they go to hand in their jerseys unless he lets Rudy play. You know, that's Dan Devine, which is crazy. Now, it's subsequently come out and sorry to burst everybody's bubble on the Rudy movie that that whole handing in the jerseys thing never happened. And Dan Devine himself was really annoyed at how they portrayed him in that movie. And he said that, look, if the players had to come in and handed their jerseys to let Rudy play in their place, that they never would have got their jerseys back. You know, there's loads of other stuff that didn't happen in that movie, like the crowd chanting for him. That never happened. Him being carried off the field in triumph didn't happen that way. They carried him off the field, kind of taking the piss. Um, The sack that he got at the end of the movie, which is the whole sort of climax to it, didn't even happen like that. There's footage of it on YouTube. You can go look at it. It's a two players sack him. And so it's kind of a half sack, if anything. And then even on that sack, Rudy himself, uh, who was a real guy, was offside. So it shouldn't have counted in the first place. But Dan Devine was that sort of villainous coach in that movie and hated how he was portrayed in it. So between, you know, getting run out of Green Bay, everybody mutinying against him, even the Packers PR crowd saying this that and the other but the one thing that comes out of it is, is Cliff Crystal says look this guy brought it all on himself is that he seemed to not really have a clue what he was doing uh, his one strong point is that he hired good people one of those people was actually Bob Harlan who ended up going on and changing the franchise forever and setting us up in that trajectory that we're in so I just think it's absolutely fascinating the story of Dan Devine the story of the shot dog the story of him breaking his leg in his first game and being on the operating table before the game is even over and then him appearing in that Rudy movie which is massively popular so nice little chapter in Green Bay history for you anyway I've been at the NFL get on to patreon.com forward slash UK Packers to get yourself an all expenses paid trip to Green Bay and follow the groups at UK Packers and until next week with the podcast I'll speak to you then <laughs>